This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Well, one way to simplify it is to say that white women wanted the same rights as white men. They wanted political access, education, employment. Black women had a much deeper and larger and broader agenda, so they were fighting for even more than just the rights that white women enjoyed. They wanted to protect their entire communities and in much more dangerous circumstances. That was historian Elizabeth Griffith talking about her new book, Formidable, American Women and the Fight for Equality, from 1920 to 2020. It looks at American women's struggle for their rights from a perspective we usually don't see. I'm Milan Verveer, and this is Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. We are bringing you 100 of the world's most inspiring and history-making women you need to hear. Elizabeth Griffith is an expert on women's history. Her biography of suffragist Elizabeth Cady Stanton, in her own right, was the basis of Ken Burns' documentary on Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, Not For Ourselves Alone. The New York Times called formidable, engaging, and relevant, noting that it delivers a multiracial, inclusive timeline of the struggles and triumphs of both Black and white women. Listen and learn why Elizabeth Griffith and the women who fought for equality are among Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. I'm speaking today with historian, author, and educator, Elizabeth Griffith. Betsy, welcome. We're so delighted to have you with us. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Now, you and I have had the pleasure of knowing each other for many years, And I must say, I always greatly value your expertise on the struggle for women's equality in the United States. So I'm doubly delighted to have this conversation. I'm thinking we met when um, the First Lady was preparing to go to Seneca Falls uh, in the middle of the um, 1990s to celebrate the anniversary, the 150th anniversary of the Seneca Falls Women's Rights Convention. Exactly. Seneca Falls brings us together always. It's a wonderful, wonderful part of America's history and that continues today. So let's talk about your new book, Formidable, American Women and the Fight for Equality, 1920 to 2020. It covers 100 years. Now, you know there was a lot written about women's suffrage in 2020 on the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. 
what has been missing from all those previous suffrage histories that have motivated you to write this book? Well, they were histories of the suffrage movement, how we got the vote all vital parts of American history. But my question was, what did we do after we got it? The question I wanted to answer was, how did women use the vote if they were able to? What were their causes? What were their issues? And what kept them from advancing? And what conclusions did you come to just very briefly before we go into lots of different questions? American women change agents, reformers, these progressive brave women were divided throughout our history by race and segregation. Women who ought to have been allies, educated change agent brave women could not work together because of the times and the issues dividing them. Specifically, white and black women had different agenda items, different priorities, different realities, and different strategies. And so can we talk about some of those divisions or differences in the struggles that Black women and white women undertook during this 100-year period? Well, one way to simplify it is to say that white women wanted the same rights as white men. They wanted political access, education, employment. Black women had a much deeper and larger and broader agenda. It was really community-wide, beginning with um, ending lynching and securing the safety of their communities. That was not only safety against violence, but it was safety against shabby educational systems, you know, no sewers, no playgrounds, all of the ways that um, Jim Crow post-Civil War Reconstruction had damaged African Americans. So they were fighting for even more than just the rights that white women enjoyed. They wanted to protect their entire communities and in much more dangerous circumstances. And their climb was a much harder climb in many ways, given what they were up against. And in some ways, they were more successful than white women because white women go into the 1920s thinking, you know, they won the vote, the world is open, everything will advance for them. And it, and it does for maybe uh, the first congressional term. And then white men um, in charge of the Congress and the Senate figure out that white women are not turning out to vote in large numbers in 1922 or 24 or 26. So the advances that were passed relating to maternal and infant health, related to education and prison reform, were reversed, were defunded, were defeated. So that by 1930, one journalist writes, the 19th Amendment promised almost everything and accomplished almost nothing. And then the combination of the Depression, um, interesting issues about um, observations about women and sexuality sort of depress women's organizational efforts in the 30s. There's a revival in the 40s with the Rosie for that, the Rosie the Riveter and the Second World War benefited all women, black, white, everybody else. Um, but then uh, white women, um, again, sort of surrender to stereotypic expectations. But meanwhile, black women, much less publicly, not covered in the news, not in the headlines, uh, working out of church basements or as agricultural agents or as public health nurses or as teachers or just neighbors in communities are trying very hard to advance civil rights um, one registration by another, one literate person after another. Um, and they are at risk of great reprimand if their activities are discovered. But they're support, they're joining the NAACP. They're joining the League of Women Voters where they weren't in a segregated state. 
and they're pushing uh, the advances uh, that will culminate in the 50s, um, a lot of it driven by the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, including obviously led by Thurgood Marshall, but supported by Constance Baker Motley. You've got Pauli Murray working behind the scenes. And you have a lot of women who've been in church basements now coming forward. They're the women who will lead the Montgomery bus boycott. They're the women who will um, support the uh, integration of Central High School in Little Rock. There's a lot going on. And then finally, sort of around 1960, into the 1960s, white women are paying attention to what's happening to black women, white reformers, and they begin to think we need to, we need to be supporting them and we need to be asking questions about our own status as well. So the 60s, as you and I will remember, maybe not you, I remember, um, uh, you know, you've got the civil rights movement boiling, you've got the women's rights movement simmering, you have the anti-war movement exploding. Um, so you've got a lot going on that will have impact on the country's history in the 70s and 80s. Such a wonderful uh, abbreviated uh, perspective on all of this. So where do Hispanic and Latina women come into this? Tell us about their struggle. Well, it's, it's, there are lots of other women who are, on whom I did not focus as fully as I did on white and black women, because that seems to me to be the central struggle in American history. But in addition to Hispanic and Latina women, there are Native American women and Jewish women and Asian women. But to answer your immediate question, Hispanic women are obviously have been in this country uh, since 1523 and have pursued different routes, a lot of them literate, but a lot of them kept in a more, um, I almost want to say, convent-like tradition of upbringing. But by the, by the 20th century, women are pulling ahead. The first woman in elected office, the first Hispanic woman in elected office is Soledad Chavez de Chacon, who became Secretary of State of New Mexico in 1922, and in that role ended up substituting for the governor for almost a month. So she's She's not even technically the first woman, a Hispanic woman, to be a governor because there was a Hispanic woman in a similar role in Oregon in 1906 who first um, served in the role of governor. And since then, uh, there have been two other Hispanic governors, one a Republican, one a Democrat, now, of course, uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham. But and, and all of these women were in New Mexico, which is such a historically deeply rooted state and experience. But you've got Native American women pushing for citizenship and voting rights because they were not covered by the 19th Amendment, um, nor were people with Asian immigrant roots were not, um, did not become technically citizens until 1943 and other Asian Americans not until the 1950s. But it's Patsy Mink who will be the first person of color to serve in the Congress as an Asian American Pacific Islander. And I do want to note just the long-standing contributions of Jewish women um, from the colonial period. They are always reformers. They are always progressives. They are always having to confront discrimination. Those women's organizations like the Women's Christian Temperance Union or the AAUW were not only excluding blacks, they were excluding Jewish women. And one in particular, Hannah Stone, will become the medical director for um, Margaret Sanger's birth control clinics, playing a huge role. Um, Jewish women were well represented in the medical profession in the first half of this century, as they are now, but with such discrimination that they frequently did not get um, hospital rights and admission into medical professional organizations. 
Seneca's 100 Women to Hear will be back after this short break. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You mentioned the 60s. Tell us about your own involvement in the women's movement and how, if at all, that shaped your perspective on Formidable. Well, I, I graduated from a women's college and my um, <laughs> classmates and I agree that we were very lucky to, to come into adulthood on the cusp of this rebirth of the women's movement when so much was going on. So I came to Washington first as a congressional intern and then um, as a graduate student and was recruited by another Wellesley classmate to participate in the National Women's Political Caucus. And I've always enjoyed, I've always thought of myself as a more political person than a protest person, although I've certainly marched my fair share. <laughs> but I think you have to be the kind of person who's actually counting the votes, which is why I admire Carrie Chapman Catt more than Alice Paul during the suffrage fight. From the caucus, I went to the Women's Campaign Fund, which was a forerunner of EMILY's List, back when you could fund both Democratic and Republican feminists. Um, but those, our country became so partisan and the Republican Party deserted its feminist and civil rights and environmental and all those, um, you know, all the reproductive rights that it used to support. And the parties divided so dramatically that then you needed um, groups that were going to support one side or the other. But I've done my share of training women candidates and working for female legislation. But then really, I'm a historian at heart. So I've, I've been teaching and writing women's history as another way for people to learn about social change. And it's been a great combination, having had that personal history of deep engagement uh, and then your great 
expertise as an historian giving us a lens on all of this. Milan, if I could just interrupt, because I know that the, that you're so engaged and focused on um, the, the whole Seneca Falls Convention as an organizing principle. In um, 1971, when the National Women's Political Caucus organized, there, there are variations of its creation myth. And one of them claims that it was founded on Mount Vernon Campus College here in Washington in a chapel in the middle of July. And none of the people who were there would have made the connection to Seneca Falls in a chapel in the middle of July, because none of us knew the women's history, which is helping to fuel us forward today. So fascinating, and how important it is that we know that history. Thank you for mentioning that. Your book covers a wide variety of struggles by women, some of which you've touched on already, from voting rights, health care, equal pay, etc., Do you think among these various issues, there is a most pressing issue for women today? Yes, I'm with Ruth Bader Ginsburg about if women do not have reproductive rights, they don't have agency over their bodies and the ability to make decision about whether or when to have children and whether or when to end a pregnancy, they will never be equal. So I think for all the advances we've made in the last century since 1920, and some of those advances didn't take us as far as we assume, we're in a way back to ground zero. If we cannot regroup and secure these rights for every American woman in every state, then we are facing a dire future. Indeed. So you mentioned a number of these extraordinary uh, women in our history as Americans. Who are some of the forgotten or overlooked figures? that we might not know much about, but that you have featured in Formidable, uh, and obviously you think should be better known because you've included them in your new book. I already had a PhD when I started writing this book, and I feel the research I did should earn me another one, because (laughs) like a lot of of white Americans, I do not know enough African-American history. And I'm a little bit reassured when I speak to um, groups of Black women that they don't, they don't necessarily recognize all these names immediately either. Um, so I think there are a lot of lessons for us to learn. Two I might name, there's a woman named Julia Cooper, who was as active a feminist writer and philosopher at the end of the 19th century as was Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Um, she wrote a book called Voice of the South in 1892, and she's really laying out a case for Black feminism. I'd never heard of that book before. And now I note more and more when I'm traveling that there are schools named for her, and I never would have thought to ask who she was. A story I particularly like is about a woman named Septima Clark. She would have been an adult in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. She was trained as a teacher and was working for the Charleston, South Carolina school system, which was a segregated system. So even with her advanced degrees, she was teaching in the shabbiest, least resourced schools. Um, and being paid less. So she brings a suit in cooperation with the NAACP to make sure that black and white teachers are paid the same no matter where they are teaching, and she's fired. Um, And then the state of South Carolina passes a law saying no teacher, no state employee can be a member of the NAACP. So she leaves South Carolina and loses her pension, loses all of her sort of accrued reputation and assets. She moves to Tennessee and participates in the Highlander School, which will play a huge role in the civil rights movement. It had begun as a labor organizing center. 
But in the summer before the Montgomery bus boycott, Rosa Parks is a student of Septima Clark at, quote, a citizenship freedom school. Eventually, the state of Tennessee will shut it down as a communist front, and she will join the Southern Christian Leadership Conference with Dr. King and lead citizenship education programs throughout the 60s. She is the woman who organizes Freedom Summer in Mississippi. She's credited with registering 700,000 Black voters between 1960 and 1970. And here's the best part. She retires. She returns to Charleston. She runs for the school board and wins a seat. And a Republican governor makes sure that her pension is reinstituted. So some of these stories do not end in violence and disaster. Some end in good behavior. Well, that's heartening. And how wonderful to hear about Black women's leadership over this period, which continues to today. So it's great to hear there's so much about these women in your book. You know, I've known you as the headmistress of Madeira School, among other things, obviously, uh, which is a wonderful school for girls in the Washington, D.C. area. And I wonder what you would want your former students and actually girls everywhere to take from your book. Well, I'm confident that Madeira girls are getting a very deep education in American history and, and world history as well. But I, but I believe all students need to be grounded in American history and civics lessons. And I don't think that that's happening equitably across the country. We cannot shy away from the reality of our history. We cannot worry about being made uncomfortable. That's how people learn, and we need to learn the lessons of our past. So I hope all young people have an opportunity to learn women's history, Black history, immigrant history. All of this is part of our history. It's not just about old white men who may have been heroic, but not always. And I particularly think it's important for young people to find in history role models. These could be, again, of whatever finding their own identity and these characters in the past. And there are many. We just need to bring them to light. Because I think in those historic actors, young people find examples of courage and fortitude, of integrity. I am just awed by these women. Well, and you may have read in the book that I took myself on a road trip um, a, across the South to visit various civil rights sites and memorials. And in every place, people had died, people had been tortured, people had been murdered to get civil rights for themselves and to expand civil rights for all Americans. Those unnamed, many of them um, forgotten people need to be remembered. Every time, every time anybody thinks they might not go out and vote because it's raining, they need to remember that women were force-fed for this right, that Black people died for this right, that we have an obligation as citizens to really participate in this democracy. So that's what I want young people to think about. Well, and that's such a good reminder and of how important uh, it is and on whose shoulders uh, we all stand in many, many ways. You know, I think this is a perfect segue to our alas, last question. Because you've seen so much, you've experienced much, you've studied history, uh, you've just opened our eyes to so many other chapters in this new book that we may not have been familiar with. I wonder in all of that, what gives you optimism? What makes you hopeful? Because there's so much in our country and our world today that makes people feel 
less hopeful. I have to say, Milan, after I just saw you recently in Little Rock, where Secretary Clinton convened a women's summit, I've been quite inspired because the program included so many young people, a bunch of impressive people, our age and younger, grown-ups, I would call them. But these young change agents, these young people who are so comfortable with inclusion and diversity, who don't see the differences that we might have grown up having had pointed out to us, who make very easy coalitions and who are already, already proving how effective they can be about gun control legislation or about climate change. I, of course, hope they turn their sights under reproductive rights, but I think it's caught everybody by surprise, thinking that the court would ever overthrow a 50-year precedent. But um, I'm really much more optimistic about the future than I might have been had I not taught young people and worked with them and then been exposed to them so effectively at the um, Clinton Center Summit. Well, that's a wonderful way to conclude that optimistic note. I can't thank you enough for uh, being with us today, for your inspiration, for your new book, Formidable American Women and the Fight for Equality, 1920 to 2020. The journey continues, and I know it continues with you as well. Thank you so much, Elizabeth Griffith, for being with us today. Thank you. What a different and important focus on women's history. Here are three things I took from that eye-opening conversation. First, the passage of the 19th Amendment, which gave women the right to vote, was only the beginning, not the end of women's fight for equality. In fact, its passage was followed by setbacks for women's issues like maternal health and education. Second, Black women's struggle for equality was certainly much harder than that for white women, yet they remained undeterred. As Elizabeth Griffith says, Black women were organizing, working out of church basements, and were a driving force in the civil rights movement. Finally, it's inspiring to learn about the forgotten women of American history. Think about women like Julia Cooper, a 19th century philosopher who wrote Voice of the South, A Call for Black Feminism, or Septima Clark, a black teacher and education reformer who also registered 700,000 black voters between 1960 and 1970. To learn more, pick up a copy of Formidable, American Women and the Fight for Equality, 1920 to 2020. And tune in next time to hear about our next featured woman and discover why she's one of Seneca's 100 Women to Hear. Seneca's 100 Women to Hear is a collaboration between the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Have a great day. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. 
This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.